Good morning. You're very welcome. Good to have you back with us, Tishy, as well. Okay, so if we can put up the the uh, title slide, that would be great. So we are currently working through a series on it's all about who. Um, and this one today we're going to talk about it's all about Jesus but I want to revisit a wee bit of what we went through last week so we want to look at in this series who this is really all about is it all about us, is it all about you, is it all about uh, Jesus, is it all about the Father, who's it all about and I made the statement last week that the most, most healthy and mature Christians are those who are ministering Jesus said to the man in John 5, 8, pick up your mat and walk. It was in the act of him actually doing what Jesus had asked him to do that he found wholeness. So the most, most, help, most, the most healthy and mature Christians are those who are ministering. And you all know the story of the woman at the well, John 4. She is out getting some water. She encounters this man who then starts asking for a drink and she's going, you've nothing to draw with. And he draws her into this dialogue about uh, living water. She asks for that. He says, call your husband. He gets his walk out. He has a word of knowledge. Jesus says, um, well, call your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And he starts to tell her, you've had five. And this one that you're with at the minute isn't your husband. And she then really gets engaged that this guy's a prophet, he really knows God, and then Jesus uncovers that he's the Messiah. And then she goes back to her, her hometown and starts to tell them all about uh, what he's done for her. This guy basically, this guy over at this well, told me everything that I ever did. So they all come out, the town all comes out and says, uh, can you stay for a few more days? We'd like to hear a lot more. And by the end of the couple of days, because Jesus uh, does what they ask him to do, and Jesus stays for a couple more days and they say, we don't say that you're the son of God now because she told us. We say because we know that you are. So, judging by what we tend to believe, we believe that for us to be effective or to be used by God, we have to be in a certain place. So let me ask the question. Was it the woman at the well, judging by our own standards, was the woman at the well in any place to lead anybody anywhere near Jesus Christ or to minister to anybody. She was a mess. Her life was like Swiss cheese. But yet she didn't go through any five-step evangelism plan. She didn't go to some uh, internship over in America. She didn't study under this famous person. She just met Jesus and she went and told everybody about it and her time was changed. So we've got to die to this idea that we've got to arrive at a particular place. We think when I am there, I'm going to be able to do this stuff. And what God wants to communicate is, until you do this stuff, you're not going to be anywhere. So we've just got to get at it, pick up our mat and walk. Whatever it is that is restricting us, we just need to, need to do it. And our wholeness is received in pursuit of Jesus Christ, not in pursuit of our wholeness. We've all met people, and we've probably all been those people that are after this healing, or we want God for this thing, or we want him for that thing. And the truth is, until we're after him, we're likely not going to get anything that we're looking for. Psalm 37, 4, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I would suggest to you that he needs to give them to you because you don't really know what the desires of your heart are. Is that a fair statement? Most of the time, I'm not really that sure. And most of the time when I do get the desire of my heart, it takes me by surprise. So it's only as we delight ourselves in him that we're going to get that. So Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Matthew 16:25 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever want, whoever loses their life for me will find it So who is this Jesus Well are you ready Brace yourselves He is the morning star though I wish I was African American at this point He is the morning star he is the rose of Sharon he is the good shepherd he's the son of man he's God's son he's the prince of peace the king of kings he is the writer, faithful and true, the wonderful counselor, the prophet and priest, saviour, suffering servant or wounded healer, Emmanuel, God with us, he's the first among many, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the lamb, he's the ancient of days, he's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last who died and came to life again. He is the word, he is the truth, he is the light of the world, he's victorious, he's the one who sets free, he's the rock, the door, the true vine, our hope, and if you ask any uh, traditional ministers, they'll tend to say he's like a country road. <laughs> that all, you know, I was walking along and just felt like, uh, you know, the Lord's almost like a country road, so he's all that as well. He is the true vine, he is our hope, he is one, he has the sharp double-edged sword, he holds the seven spirits of God. He is holy and holds the key of David. He is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation. And you all know S.M. Lockridge. He's indescribable. He's in, can't even do it. He's incomprehensible. You can't live him and you can't live without him. I wonder, do you know him? Matthew 18, 20. I'm going to quote that in a second. Are we here in his name? Are there more than two or three of us? Well then, Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So is he here? Right. So does that change things? He's not an idea in philosophy. He's not some mental ascent. He's not a crutch. He is a person and he is here. Makes it a little bit different, doesn't it? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. It's very important. He had a natural birth. Although his dad organized it spectacularly. He didn't send out text messages. He sent legions and choirs of angels to the most unlikely of people. He had an assassination attempt on his life when he was two. But he was rescued by an angel speaking to his dad in a dream. And he lived a normal life as part of a family and learned to trade. And C.S. Lewis said this about him in Mere Christianity. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. So this Jesus that we're talking about lived with vision and purpose. As a boy, let me read from uh, Luke 2, 41-50. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. 
After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Don't forget that later on it was after three days, after she lost him for three days, that he came back again. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't get what he was saying to him. As a man, he knew that he was sent. Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Luke 4, 14 to 21, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He knew the specifics of the task that he was sent for. And what I want to partly uncover as well is, we think that that was just for him, do we not? Well, he was Jesus. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Part of the lie that we have believed is that, well, you know, God, it's all a mystery with God, and you know you're never going to really know. Oh, really? Jesus was pretty specific. He was able to do all of these things because he knew that he was deeply and dearly loved. Matthew 3.17, if you haven't noticed, I'm going to pummel you with verses today. Matthew 3.17, and a voice from heaven said, do you ever ponder what that sounded like? Was it like the lottery man? It's you. Or the Britain's Got Talent? Jesus Christ. I'm not mocking. What was it like? What was the voice like? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I'm sure that he said that for the benefit of those around, but also because he loved his son. Luke 9, 35, another occasion, a voice came from the cloud this time saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Jesus was secure in the father's love all of his life. Why do you think that we keep banging on about this community known for his love? Or until you know that you're loved, you can't do this stuff. Or it's perfect love that drives out fear. Or God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Let me tell you a story. So, as a dad, I am very, very conscious that we want our children to be secure in the fact that they're known and loved. And that also means that they know that they can't get away. It's not that we go, look, you're loved, everything's all right. Any parent knows you can't do that. But on Sunday mornings, it's my practice to I get up early um, and I go into my study, make myself a wee drip of coffee this morning. I had a wee banana just to give me a wee bit of energy, you know. Um, and I spend time just getting my head around what I want to say. 
and it's become a really, really special time. It sounds like a chore. It is not. I find that uh, as I minister, I become more whole, um, and I get to know him better, and he comes really, really close. Most of the time I end up weeping because I understand something, or I get, that's what Jesus did. You want to prepare a message about Jesus? You're a mess. What he did for us? My goodness. But anyway, at about uh, 6.45 or 7 a.m., we hear thump, pitter, 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 pitter. These wee feet, and they go to the bathroom, and you hear clearly the activity that happens in the bathroom. And then you hear this, Daddy! And this wee man comes in. I stop, I turn around, I open up my arms, and I pull him up onto my knee, and I give him a wee cuddle. And this morning he stayed for ages, and he just sort of rested there, and I thought, you know, this is just wonderful. It's just, everything's quiet in the house. Anna and Claire were asleep. It's just him and I. He was still a wee bit, you know, that kind of dozy, bleary-eyed sort of state. And I was up before him, and I was there, and I was busy, and I stopped, turned around, grabbed him up, and, and caught him up in my arms. He needs to know that I'm going to stop what I'm doing, because what I'm doing is not as important as he is. And in the midst of it all, something happens between the two of us. There's a wee bit of strength that comes from me, and there's a wee bit of just that he's my boy. We need to know that. Anna, Anna's getting ready for church. Not this morning, but uh, some morning she's getting ready. And I've come upstairs because we've been making my breakfast. And Claire is very kind and helps me and looks at me. And I'm going, right, I'm on, okay. And she looks at me and does this. And I'm like, oh, you're beautiful. You really, oh, I love the way you've put that together. Who chose that? I chose that. Well, that's, that's lovely. I love your hair. He did that. Mommy did my hair for me. Darling, you're really beautiful. Thank you, Daddy. And then we shout at each other later on after that. Bring the reality into it. She needs to know that she's seen. And she needs to know that she's adored. And she needs to know that she's beautiful. So what I want to ask us is, gentlemen, do you know that your father loves you? Have you gone to him and experienced the strength that he has? The fact that he wants to stop what he's doing and turn and embrace you? Do you know that? And ladies, do you know that he sees you? Do you know that his eyes on you? Do you know that he delights in you? Do you know that he calls you beautiful? Because you can uh, push all of this stuff away and go, that's just, life's tough, life's hard. Yeah, it is. It's going to be even harder. Your heart's going to get even harder if you don't let God give you what you need to receive. And you know, I think probably for us, for most cultures, but maybe particularly in ours, this is the bit that we've got to die to. Well, you know, well, no, I don't need to do that. Yes, you do. You get over yourself and go up to him and go, I just need you to hold me for a while. Or twirl for you ladies. You need to know that you're adored. You need to know that you're seen. You need to know that you're beautiful. And us gentlemen need to arm wrestle with them and get a good hug and I tell Isaac that I love him and that's, you know, it's great to see you, son. Missed you yesterday. He's important to me. Jesus was able to do everything that he did. He endured the cross. He endured way more than we are ever, ever going to endure. And we're going to talk a little bit about specifically what he endured that we won't have to. But he did it all because he knew that he was loved. You cannot do this stuff unless you know that you're loved. So Jesus and his uh, dad were close all of his life. 
Luke 5.16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. He would often get away from everybody else and go and be with his father. Now, the, the Hebrew or the Greek word is uh, the work of asking for something. Um, and he was there to ask, but he was there to commune. He was there to be with his father. And I would suggest to you that it might have been a wilderness when they arrived, but when the two of them were together, it most definitely wasn't. How close they were was highlighted so deeply by the anguish Jesus experienced when the Father abandoned him on the cross. Mark 15.34 Then at three o'clock Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He did it so that we would never have to be. The pain that he experienced was physical, but I would suggest to you that the intense pain that he experienced was the fact that his father abandoned him. Don't miss, don't dilute, don't misunderstand. God abandoned his son. You have never been abandoned by God. It may have felt like it. You may have had demons whispering in your ear that that's the truth. But you have never been abandoned by God and you will never be so. Ask the one who was. This is pretty serious stuff this morning. But it's good news. When you understand the depths that he went to for you, you'll never recover. You'll never do life the way you did. You'll never struggle with the things you struggled with. You'll never be tempted by that thing because it's more attractive. You'll never uh, do that to that person. You'll want to please the one who loves you so deeply and dearly. Not out of fear. Not out of perfectionism. Not out of uh, fear of getting it wrong and failure. But because you're loved. Let's lift it up a little bit. Let me read John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Genesis 1, 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God had an idea called light right in the beginning. He commanded it into existence. I once heard this South African guy say, you know that uh, Jesus came along and he said, well, he knew that that top was stripy, but he thought, I want to make that top black. So he said, that top is black. It was no longer stripy, it was black. Do you get it? When God speaks something out, it happens. When he says, that is no longer wood, that's plastic, that is no longer wood, that's plastic. That's really hard for us to get. But God had an idea called light and he commanded it into existence. How did he do that? Did it by? By words. You're not with me here. Come on, people. We're going somewhere. He did it with words, right? What's one of Jesus' names? Okay. The word, right? That's what Jesus does. This is the good stuff, okay? Romans 4.17 God calls things that are not as though they are. God had an idea called light. 
He spoke it into existence and there was... Right. So when he talks to you, does he tell you ridiculous things about who you are? No, he doesn't. Can I suggest you need to listen a lot more closely? When you really hear who you are, who he calls you to be, you're going to go, no way. It's not going to happen. He's got the goods. He is the word. He has an idea of who you are. He wants to command that into existence. So what I would say to you is, after this, go away and ask him, who do you say that I am? Funny that Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? You've got to answer that one first. When you've answered that one, then you can ask him, well, okay, so you're that. So who do you say that I am? And the idea that he has about you, that's what he wants to command into existence. Are you with me? It's a wee bit deep and down there. But we can't miss the fact that this Jesus that walked on the earth was present when the earth was formless and the Holy Spirit was hovering over it. He was the agent through which the Father spoke everything into existence. He is the best at everything. He understands the molecular structure of everything, the physics with which the earth exists, the principles that govern the earth. He gets it all because he was there as the agent that caused it into creation. Now, gentle Jesus making mild, yes, get that, and he is. But he's the one with an idea that wants to command into existence who you really are. He is the word, right? We shall become letters that make up an army of words that bear the testimony as to who he really is. Let me say that again. He is the word, but as we yield ourselves to him, we shall become letters that make up an army of words bearing testimony as to who he really is. And the microphone has just stopped working because the power has gone. That's all right. He has that kind of authority. In fact, all authority has been given to him. Now, this week we had a, a visitor in work and uh, they said that we have a VIP coming in. We have a stand-up meeting in the mornings. And they said that we have a VIP coming in. And he said, okay, so this gentleman uh, started his business and the initial turnover was 1.2 million. I thought, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been happy. His turnover at the minute is 3.3 billion. It's a lot of money. If he said to me, I was asking the tour guide who took him around, he said he was a gentleman. He's a guy from, I think, West Cork or Wexford or something like that. He said he was just a total gentleman. If that gentleman asked me, what would you like? Or what do you, what do you need? I think I might consider what I would say because maybe an island might not be off the agenda. Now, we're talking physical stuff. But we've got to understand that this Jesus that we're talking about has all authority. All authority. And sometimes we pray to him like he's maybe got a couple of million. What are you asking for? What do you expect what do you want from him? Now, you've got to be practical with him. But also, why do we dream so small? Jesus had the first word, and he'll have the last word, because he is the first and the last word. Revelation 3.7, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So what's he saying about you? Do you think it's ridiculous? Do you think it's impossible? He has an idea of who you really are and he's commanding that into existence. Die to who you thought you were. Die to uh, what was. 
He calls things that are not as though they are, so let him. And let him lead you. He is the king of the kingdom that we've been commanded to seek, and he is the one that we're to follow. We've got to learn to have more faith in his ability to lead us than we have in our ability to follow him. We kind of think that, oh, I haven't been following him that well. Okay, you maybe need to up your game on that one, but also he's the leader. He knows how to lead you specifically, personally, and intimately, and he will get that done. He'll give you rest as you follow him. He'll restore your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions as you follow him. He'll show you the best way to do things, how to make good decisions, and how to take the right paths. He'll show you who he is through the difficult parts of the journey, and you'll learn to not be afraid because you're loved. When the enemy comes, he'll feed you like a king and teach you who to focus on. You'll lose sight of the activity of the enemy, and you'll focus on the goodness of the shepherd. He'll anoint you for a specific task and cause your life to be full to the point of abundance. And you'll not be able to shake his goodness or shake his love. Psalm 23. Follow him. Stop getting distracted by other things. Stop focusing on yourself. What's wrong here? What's this mean? What's that? What's that about me? Where's that going? Lift up your eyes and find where your help comes from. He's over there. In fact, he's right here. Where two or three are gathered, he is here. A part of what you're experiencing this morning in the silence is the weight of his presence. He's here. So let him poke you, prod you, encourage you. Let him do whatever he wants to do with you. Because if it's him, it'll be good. Let it go. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Would you guys come up? It's only in losing your life for him that you're going to find it. Now what's really hit me about this, and I said this last week, is we can lose our lives for lots of things. Well, I gave up my life and I had to work over here because there was no money. I gave my life for this relationship. I gave my life for uh, this activity, for this hobby, for this job. You can lose your life for whatever you want to, or you can lose your life for him. If you lose your life for him, you will find it. I think that sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm on my own. It's only when we lose our lives for him we're going to find them. And he promises, John 10.10, life in all its fullness. And your life is hidden with him. You're going to find it only when you go after the person of Jesus Christ. And if you have any experience of this stuff, um, you're going to find that life is much sweeter when we're not consumed with ourselves. Our own passions, desires, needs, wants, what we want. It's going to be so much better. You can see farther and you can see more clearly when your vision is not consumed with yourselves. So are we up for this? He is here. So all bets are off. He can do what he wants to do. He might do the littlest thing. He might do a massive thing that you didn't expect. But it's not about what he does. It's about the fact that he's the one doing it. So can I ask us to stand together? And as always, every Sunday, whenever we're speaking, we're going to ask you to respond because we want to receive the practicality of what the Holy Spirit's given. So as always, there's some questions to help you to respond. And if you can say yes to any of the following, please come and join me at the front. If you're me, just come anyway. Do you need to correct your understanding of who Jesus is? Have you had this thought that he's like this or he's like that? And actually, as we've gone through this, you've thought, you know, I didn't think of him like that. 